What's up, my crime turning nation? We're back with another hot episode of As the Crime Turns. I'm your host, Desmond Dervell, and I'd like to thank you for listening today. If it's your first time listening and you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. If you have time, please give us a review. Let us know what you think. Also, be sure to check out the Ask the Crime Turns podcast website for an overview of all of our stories each week, including our unique episode artwork by our graphic artist, Shuttermind Designs. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is a model in Oakland City Park. This week, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. When I first moved to Atlanta around the beginning of 2018, I remember seeing flyers in relation to a beautiful model being killed. I didn't know much about the story at the time, but I remember hearing a young woman was murdered and the detectives on the case were seeking the public's help. When I began researching this young lady, I was thinking that thousands would have tried to turn her story prior to me because the story was so tragic, but that wasn't really the case. Though the ones I did find were notable, I did not find very many. This is the story of Bridget Shield. Bridget was born April 30th, 1997. Bridget spent most of her youth in Washington, D.C., She and her younger brother, Brandon, were raised in a military environment by their grandparents, Jim and Beverly Toole. Bridget and Brandon's mother, Angela, was alive, but lived over 600 miles away in Atlanta. Bridget never got the opportunity to know her father. Growing up, Bridget was full of energy. She was fun to be around and very dramatic, but in a good way. She loved to sing. She danced learned ballet, and was a great soccer player. Into her teenage years, Bridget started to have a hard time. Teased for her weight, she became depressed as she got older. She started ninth grade at Eastern High School in Washington, D.C. at the top. She was attending class regularly, participating in extracurricular activities, and making the honor roll. Her sophomore year, however, Bridget started to skip school. She clicked up with the wrong people and started living dangerously, making bad decisions and, of course, rebelling, which is typical for her age. One bad decision leading to the next. One day in 2013, Bridget decided abruptly she would go live with her mother in Atlanta and leave her D.C. life behind. Her grandmother felt this would be a great move for her. It would give her another chance, according to Beverly. And it did. Moving to Atlanta was good in a sense. Bridget became much more confident in Atlanta. Perhaps it was the area. It's almost like the southern atmosphere allowed her to go from caterpillar to butterfly. She began losing weight and embracing her natural looks more and more. It was never said if Bridget always had dreams of being in front of a camera, but upon moving to Atlanta, she decided she would become a model. She went on to graduate from North Springs Charter School of the Arts and Sciences in 2015. After graduating with her high school diploma, she began attending Empire Beauty School while pursuing her modeling career full-time. On the home front, living with her mother was much different from her grandmother. 
Bridget and her mother would often fall in and out over minor things like household chores and curfew issues. During those times, Bridget would find herself living anywhere. She would lodge at random hotels if she could afford it, friends' couches, boyfriends' houses, and if push came to shove, even her car. She was tough. I don't know too many 19-year-olds willing to thug it out in their car in Atlanta. Bridget was very active on social media. In researching the story, I took to her Instagram and Facebook to learn a little more about her. She was beautiful, no doubt. She wore an edgy haircut and platinum blonde, and she was very aware of her sex appeal. Judging by her Instagram, she seemed very full of life. Several videos of twerking, dancing, and having a great time. There were model shots, poses, memes, and quotes. On January 18, 2016, she posted a meme. It stated, quote, One day, your love for yourself will outweigh the love that keeps you holding on to someone who chooses to hurt you. One day, the love for yourself will be your strength. Which love will be more than enough reason for you to walk away for good? Quote, After further research, I found that this was a quote from Whiskey Words and a Shovel by R.H. Sin. She also had a logo beneath her screen name titled Girly Girls of Atlanta. This looked like it was a business venture of hers and maybe some friends. When I googled the name, I found a Facebook page. The page showed images of models with the caption, for bookings, email here. I can't tell from the page, however, exactly what services they offer. I assumed it was modeling. What was more important to me was that these ladies could have been friends of Bridget, perhaps even given her a place to stay from time to time. It was said at one point, Bridget was an escort. There were ads found of her on Backpage. In the ads, Bridget was said to be wearing revealing clothing and using aliases such as Spice and Nation. Even though Backpage is down today, for years it was known as a gateway for escorts, prostitutes, and other erotic services that could be offered. It also was an underground sex trafficking ring for some. It was during this phase of her life she met Kevin Kinney. He would become her boyfriend and even roommate at one point. Kevin was older, a local alleged gang affiliate, and sometimes quite volatile, all while being a father. Bridget and Kevin had a very strange relationship, maybe because it included another woman. According to Crime Watch Daily, Kevin alleged that he pulled Bridget out of the escort life and moved her into his home. Bridget's grandmother, however, felt differently. She felt Kevin actually introduced Bridget to being an escort and was forcing her to continue to work. The truth has yet to surface. The mother of his child, Brittany Aloka, also lived with them. Now, I'm not quite sure what type of boyfriend would allow this, you know, allow two women to live with him. One, the mother of his child, and another, an escort. And two, why would he continue to allow her to escort living with him? Could he have possibly been controlling, maybe? Around Valentine's Day, February 12, 2016, to be exact, Bridget calls the police. 911, we can have to see emergency. Uh, I just need to uh, place a restraining order on somebody. Were you assaulted in any way? Yes. And who's this person to you? He, he was my boyfriend. Okay, hold on. I don't want to 
Bridget didn't press charges. 48 hours later, now Valentine's Day 2016, police arrive at the home of Kevin Kenny to find both of his women, baby mother Brittany and Bridget, fighting. The two were charged and taken into custody. After this altercation, Bridget no longer wished to live with Kevin. I imagine she didn't feel safe. She would go back to her nomadic lifestyle after this, staying from place to place. I'd also like to add, it was alleged Bridget was pregnant by Kevin around the time of her death. She was afraid to share this news with him. I'd like to also add, this was never confirmed. On May 10, 2016, Bridget posted another meme on Instagram. It said, funny how a girl can have a million guys after her, yet she stays tripping over the only one she's crazy for. Could she have been subliminally referring to Kevin? We'll never know. Around the same time, Bridget gets a showbiz break. She's cast in a music video by artist Chris Waddle for the song Bye Guy, Open Fire. Just two weeks later, Bridget's fate would change forever. May 30th, 2016 was a Monday, Memorial Day. Bridget had been staying with a friend for a couple of nights. That night, Bridget, or Piper, as she referred to herself on Instagram, was scheduled to go to a mansion party with her friend. I can imagine parties were still rolling in on the holiday weekend. Around 10, the ladies were home getting dressed, pre-gaming, maybe a little drinking, posting Snapchats, I imagine, or Instagram posts, as most people do when they're headed out. After Bridget got dressed, she decided she would go ahead and wait in the car. She was probably ready to get there. I know that feeling. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be a wise decision. Once Bridget's friend had gotten dressed and got outside to then get in the car and go to the mansion party, Bridget was gone. She wasn't sure if Bridget had left her and went to the party without her or if she had made alternate plans. Around 10.30, Bridget posted on Snapchat. It was a photo of her shoes and her legs, and it stated, too pretty to be walking through the grass. From the looks of that Snapchat, it seemed as though Bridget had ditched her friend and gotten with someone else. Around 11 p.m., that friend calls Bridget, or FaceTimes rather. Bridget states with a very blank face that she was headed to the store and she would be right back. She would never see Bridget again. Around 1 a.m. in southwest Atlanta, shots ring out at Oakland City Park. When the police arrive, they see nothing. Tuesday, May 31st, around 7 a.m. in southwest Atlanta, an Oakland City neighbor is out walking his dog through the Oakland City Park. As they're walking, he sees a group of stray animals congregated around something. As he got closer, he discovered it was a woman, lying face down, nude. It appeared the woman was unresponsive. He immediately called 911. Upon arriving at the scene, first responders were able to find the body being described to 911. The body was nude, face down, and had suffered multiple gunshots to multiple parts of the body. No clothing 
no purse, no ID. The eerie thing was that there was little to no blood or shell casings around the body. It's a possibility the body could have been dropped there. Detective Andre Lowe of the Atlanta Police Department had been assigned to the case. Like many homicides, I imagine, it took a village to get the case off the ground. He was one of the first to arrive on the scene, however. Investigators began their due diligence by attempting to identify the victim. A missing person search was performed, but was unsuccessful. Next, the victim's fingerprints were used to search public records in the surrounding cities of the Atlanta metro area. The prints returned one match. Early June 1st, 2016, investigators were able to conclude that the nude body found in Oakland City Park was Bridget Alley Shield. In fact, it was her mugshot from February 12, 2016 that helped them to identify her. Bridget had just turned 19. Bridget had been fatally shot six times. Some of the shots came while she was moving, perhaps running. Others were in close range, as if she was being shot while running and continued being shot once she was on the ground. This was overdoing it. And to make things worse, the type of ammunition that was used. According to investigators, the bullets used were referred to as RIP bullets. RIP is an acronym, of course, which stands for Radically Invasive Projectile. When I researched the bullet, it basically explodes upon impact. The top of the bullet opens like a crown and then scatters upon entering the body. The question is, why would they use these on Bridget? These are bullets that would only be used when their intent is to kill or send some type of message. Who could Bridget have harmed to the point they came back to shoot her six times with that type of ammo? Within 24 hours of the case, Atlanta Police Department holds a press conference to announce the death of Bridget. With sharing what information they could, they explained Bridget's 2009 Red Ford Fusion is also missing. Tips for in. They get a tip from an anonymous source explaining that a month before her death, Bridget explained she was afraid of her living boyfriend. This is Kevin Kinney. She explained he would always pull his gun on her and once he had some really scary bullets that opened up. I'd like to add that this is two months after Bridget called the police and inquired on the restraining order against the same guy. The same day as the conference, detectives make it their duty to seek out Kevin as a person of interest. Upon arriving at his home, Kenny explained the two, him and Bridget, had broken up prior to her death. Kevin denied having a weapon, admitted to being a felon, and that his feelings for Bridget were true and genuine. He also went on to admit that his child's mother and Bridget were in fact fighting over him because he cared for Bridget more. While at the home of Kenny, the detectives also took the time to go ahead and question Brittany, the mother of his child. She explained that Kevin left her for Bridget, but after they sat down and conversed over the negative character traits that Kevin possessed and its effect on them, they made a truce. After hearing this, investigators moved forward with other information but did not cross Kevin out as a suspect. Who could have done this to Bridget? What happened when she left her friend's apartment to wait in the car? 
Did she leave her friend and really go to the store? Or was she being held against her will? On the night of Bridget's disappearance, a convenience store on Memorial Drive in Atlanta has surveillance around 11.30 p.m. of Bridget and two strange men. The three seemed to be sitting in Bridget's car. Bridget was not driving. However, witnesses in the area say she did seem somewhat nervous and seemed to be acquainted with at least one of the men. The next day, now June 1st, Bridget's car is found. Next to her car, investigators find a 20-ounce Sprite bottle and a striped bodycon dress. The car was found about three or four miles away from the gas station with the surveillance, 20 miles from Oakland City Park or Southwest Atlanta, where Bridget was found. Police have now found Bridget Shields' car, but tonight they're still investigating who killed her. Now, Fox 5's Deidre Dukes has been following this story for two days. She joins us with the very latest information. And Deidre, you actually spoke with the man who found the car? Yeah, Atlanta police uh, got a big break in this case with the discovery of Bridget Shields' vehicle behind a cab restaurant. That discovery made early this morning. It puts them one step closer to figuring out who killed Bridget Shields and why. Atlanta homicide detectives combed the area where officers discovered Bridget Shields' car Wednesday morning, searching for evidence that could lead to her killer. Restaurant owner Clem Graham first spotted Shields' red Ford Fusion parked behind his DeKalb County restaurant when he arrived at work just after 6 Tuesday morning. Throughout the day, I just said I'll wait till tomorrow. If it's still there, I'll call the police. Graham stunned the next day to learn Atlanta police were searching for that same car in connection with a homicide investigation. But this morning when I got up, I watched the news and I seen the same vehicle on, on the news. And of course, I immediately called the police. Police confirming late Wednesday morning that the car found parked here on Redan Road belonged to Shield. Investigators issued a lookout for her car after she was found murdered in Oakland City Park early Tuesday morning. A license plate reader had recorded the vehicle traveling somewhere in the area of Georgia 400 and Roswell Road near the Northridge exit on Saturday. APD officers discovered the 19-year-old's nude body at the park Tuesday morning. She'd been shot multiple times. Investigators say she was apparently killed somewhere else and her body dumped in the southwest Atlanta park. It's a huge shock. Uh, nobody wants anything like this to happen, nor do you ever want to believe that it would happen to somebody that you know. Family friend Marnie Carwick says Shields' mother is devastated. The victim moved to Sandy Springs to live with her mom over a year ago, completing high school here, then attending beauty school. Kerwick says she was an aspiring model, beautiful inside and out. Right, funny, I mean, just gorgeous, pleasant, you know, growing into be a nice young woman. Police say they found the woman's clothes and other belongings in her car, but won't reveal whether they recovered any evidence tied to the murder. Bridget's car was found at the King's Southern Delight restaurant in Stone Mountain, to be exact. All right, let's recap. What do we know so far? We know Bridget was like a young blonde bombshell. Bridget was beautiful. She wanted to model. She rocked an edgy close haircut. We know that Bridget was a young hustler in a sense. She was modeling, going to hair school, and possibly running a business, Girly Girls of Atlanta. We knew she was recently single as she went through a tough time with boyfriend Kevin Kinney. We know Kevin could be abusive at times, according to Bridget and others. On top of all that, we also know that Bridget was somewhat of a nomad. 
she did not mind being homeless. She would live on the street, with friends, or anywhere she had to. We know that on May 30th, Bridget was scheduled to go out with her friend, whom she had been staying with over the past few days. We know that because the friend was taking too long to get dressed, Bridget allegedly went outside and sat in the car. And this is when things started to get blurry. We know that after Bridget's friend got outside, Bridget was gone. We know the friend FaceTimed Bridget and got a I'm going to the store, I'll be back response. We know she never comes back. We don't know where she went, but we do know that that night she appeared on a surveillance camera of a convenience store on the corner of Memorial and Rockbridge Road in Southeast Atlanta. We know that Bridget was not driving her own car. One of the two men she was with was driving. We also know these would be the last two people to be with Bridget before her death. All right, moving forward. So about five months after Bridget's murder, a Stone Mountain couple is murdered. Samuel White and Sylvia Watson were home in their apartment on the night of October 26, 2016. About five months after Bridget's death, two individuals entered the apartment as a home invasion. White and Watson were abducted, bound, and then murdered. They had both suffered gunshots to the head. When police found them, they were both laying face down, tied up. Investigators had much luck with this case and were able to apprehend Vernon Beeman and Christopher Spencer and charge both of them with murder. The two culprits' DNA were entered into the Georgia state system. Three months later, now January 2017, investigators learned of DNA found at the crime scene. The Sprite can and Bridget's dress both returned positive. This would be key in helping the team solve the case. That May, almost one year after Bridget's death, detectives ID a possible suspect in the case. This individual did not become a suspect. The wait continues for a possible DNA match on the evidence to bring them closer to the killer. One year later, now May 2018, Two years after Bridget is killed, investigators get a break. The very same Sprite bottle found at the scene of the crime in 2016 tests positive for DNA found in the state's maintained system. Whose DNA do you ask? Well, it's Christopher Spencer's, the same person who just months after killing Bridget went on to kill another couple in Stone Mountain. Who would have ever thought something as simple as a tall Sprite bottle? Wow. Two years to the date of Bridget Shields' death, an arrest warrant is issued for Christopher Spencer for the murder of Bridget. At the time of arrest, Christopher was already serving a life sentence without parole with an extra 30 years. To me, this conviction was simply just an extra cherry on top of the Sunday. To make things more interesting, not only did Spencer murder Bridget brutally, and the elderly couple in Stone Mountain, investigators also confirmed that Spencer was one of 10 men charged in the 2016 murder of two children. Allegedly, a young man by the name of DeAndre Mitchell, who at the time was 15, stole a gun from a gang. In retaliation, the said gang performed a home invasion, killing two children in their bedroom in an attempt to find Mitchell. Those children were Tatiana Coates, age 11, 
and Davion Coates, age 15. Even though Christopher had been arrested, closure was still in the distance for the Shield family. Questions still remain. For one, why was Bridget killed? What was the motive behind this murder? Some internet sources say possible sex trafficking activities. This is yet to be confirmed. Also, where is the other suspect that was in the car with Bridget and Christopher Spencer? Could it have been Spencer's partner from the Stone Mountain murder, Vernon Beeman, or someone else? And lastly, was Bridget a target of a larger crime ring taking place? These are questions that remain unanswered. Questions that still linger, keeping Bridget's family from moving forward, almost one year after the arrest of Christopher Spencer, and almost three years after the vicious murder of their beloved Bridget. When asked how the family was coping, they explained that each day they miss Bridget more and more, even three years later. When I looked Christopher Spencer up in the Georgia State Prison System, I'm able to see that he is, in fact, serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. I feel that's much deserved. I'd like to give a special thank you to Crime Watch Daily and the A&E Network for their amazing documentaries on the Bridget Shield case. That's it for today's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. I wanted to remind you all again to check out the Ask the Crime Turns podcast site. We have extra details for each show, including a unique illustration for each story we tell, thanks to our graphic artist, Shuttermind Designs. Read more about Chelsea, the person behind the name, in the About Us section of our website. Again, if you like today's show, be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you have a chance, leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback. Until next time, I'm Desmond Dervell, and this is As the Prime Turns. <laughs>